that in hello everybody welcome to for the record your weekly music podcast thanks as always for joining us i hope you're all keeping well out there and you're surviving in this frankly ludicrous heat um my name is sean tierney his name is zach buggy we're very very pleased to have you with us how are you doing bud i'm not too bad boy how are you getting on i'm good and look i hate to i hate to start the episode like really serious but look uh, you know, you know why I'm doing this. Uh, look, some stuff has come out in the last week or so. And as members of Sleep Token, we want to say that it's not cool that there's people out there impersonating members of Sleep Token trying to get take advantage of their fans and stuff. So as, look, the truth is out there. Me and Zach are both in Sleep Token. <laughs> and yeah. we, we just don't want people impersonating us anymore. It's just not cool. It's yeah. not cool, guys. So stop impersonating sleep talking. It's bold. And and, and in, as in sleep talking, as in us. Stop impersonating sleep talking. Us. us. Stop. This us. band that we've worked so hard to get off the ground. Don't impersonate us. Um, no, I think I, wanna... I, I, I might have sunstroke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even know about that, to be honest, that there was people impersonating sleep talking members. Man. <laughs> They had to put out a statement saying that, I mean, we had to put out a statement saying that it's come to their attention that, um, what did they word it? Unscrupulous individuals have been impersonating the members of Sleep Token online and like contacting fans and stuff trying to like, I don't know, is it getting money off them or like what or what's going on? But like, I mean, this is so fucking stupid. Like this is. This is why the internet is, I love the internet, but the internet is a fucking bad thing. There have been anonymous bands for like as long as there has been music. Yeah. And this is not an issue. And now fucking morons are getting like taken like advantage of. And I'm not to victim blame here, but if you think someone in Steve Talking is contacting you for 20 quid when they sold out Wembley Arena in 10 seconds, I mean, come on, like... You can't be that big of a fan. It's yeah, it's the, one of the most bizarre sh- fucking things I've ever heard. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 really silly. Let's move on. Speaking okay. of silly, I believe you had a you had a silly uh, evening there during the week. Yeah. So I've really kind of just been getting my fucking emo tinged pop punk vibe on these last few weeks. Uh, week before last, I uh, we went to Hot Mulligan. And Spanish love songs. You did in Kingston, and that was a lot of tears, a lot of fist pumping. Good Have old you time. recovered? Are you okay? Are you? you oh yeah, I'm you're okay. fully. Your your fluid level is back up to normal. Yeah, but I am. But I am very much concerned for my my well being. If I go see Spanish love songs to a headline set in January, I, I don't. I'll probably need to take like a week off fucking work. Just <laughs> <laughs> on a trip yeah full on like on a trip with like regular therapy sessions <laughs> but this week this past week um, one of my all time favourite bands the story so far 
the primary band of Parker Cannon, who's also the front man of No Pressure, who I repped last year, one of my favorite albums of the year, and I've seen live twice in the past year. But his main band of story so far, kind of making a comeback now. They've released a new single, and they're which set- is great. A banger. It's, it's an a banger. Album. Yeah. Uh, they are over here in the UK to do their support for Blink-182's tour. I've actually got a ticket to one of the London dates next month. But we if anyone doesn't know, Travis Barker had to like bail back to the States because Kourtney Kardashian had like some emergency thing. So they had it was to, to do with their baby, I think. Yeah, their baby. Yeah, yeah. Ah, exactly man. Fucking right hell. Man. Yeah. So like, yeah, no, I mean, it's fucking, I mean, at the end of the day, like, people are like, oh, for fuck's sake, Kardashian, oh, and I'm like, human's a human, man. That's his, like, like, regardless of who she is, she's his wife, like her. Wife, and that's, that's his child. That's his child, I mean. Yeah, that's more important than any pop punk song. <laughs> 100%, like, yeah. So, Blink have resumed their tour as of last night, I think, but they, and I think they're postponing those few shows in Belfast and I think it was Dublin. Dublin, yeah. Glasgow. So anyway, the story so far had like time to kill so, and they were already doing shows in Bristol and Leeds, but had decided to do two last minute shows in the underworld, which sold out in like five minutes and I knew they'd sell out in five minutes. So I was there on the morning they went on sale, phone in hand and... It's a frankly ludicrous idea. The story so far at the underworld. Like, it's not like. Let me take you on my journey for the story <laughs> so far. The first time I saw them was in Fibbers in Dublin. Mm. And that was on tour with their second album, What You Don't See. And what's Fibbers? 200 cap? 200, 250, I 250 think. 250-ish, yeah. 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 Because, and it's funny because I remember in the span of a week living in Dublin at the time. I went to see The Story So Far in Fibbers and Let Live in Fibbers. Both shows were sold out. And every single person who went to both those shows, even at the status the band were at that point, everyone was like, it's a bit insane to see The Story So Far in here in Fibbers. And yeah. everyone was like, it's a bit insane to see Let Live here in Fibbers. So even still, though The Story So Far Still potentially small, the best gig I've ever been to was The Let Live in Fibbers. The Let Live one was insane. I, I think we talked about that in our live special. Yeah. Yeah. But The Story So Far one was like, Almost as fucking ridiculous. That was me back in my very skinny, uh, rambunctious stage dive in crowd surfing days. And I'd say I got about 15 stage dives in that night. That was the night that I lost my shoe in the middle of the story <laughs> so far set. And then toward the end of the set, I found my shoe, but it was another type of shoe, but it looked similar to my shoe and it fit and it was the right foot. So I basically traded shoes with someone that night. But uh, yeah, it was a banger of a night and I met the band after. It was a great show. Couldn't believe my luck to see them in Fibbers. Next time I see them is at Riot Fest in Chicago, in America, where they're biggest and huge festival set, everyone going 90. And then I moved here to London and I saw them in the forum and the forum is like 6,000 fucking people. So went from like Fibbers to a festival to the forum. And then last time I saw them was at slam dunk another huge festival set in a packed out tent Mm. and i was like okay now the next logical step my fifth time will be seeing them next month in the o2 support and blink and they'll be in the o2 and they'll have made it all the way up to that point but not before we do some buck roger shit and go fucking see them in the underworld out of nowhere oh my god i couldn't believe my luck because to be honest i missed them 
in 2019, they did a show in the New Cross Inn. And that show has become the stuff of legend. I think that's a show people lie about going to see them at. Because like... <laughs> it's the, the Slipknot at the Astoria of the pop punk world. Yeah. People are always like, oh my God, like that story so far show. Like, like it was like seeing them in a time machine and it was so insane. I remember always being like, fuck, I didn't go to that. And it was only like less than a year after the forum. I was so sick and I missed it. I can't remember why. So when they announced these two Underworld shows, I was like, I am not missing this shit for the world. And yeah, long story short, it was unbelievable. Reminded me of seeing them in Fibbers, except I'm older now. So I just stood at the back. I, I was at the ground floor because I'm not doing a turnover uh, fiasco again. Mm -hmm. So I stood, I went down to the ground floor, like down the steps, but I stood well at the back, but like there was no room to move. And like everywhere you touched, it was like everyone was a furnace. Everyone was like a wet, hot thing that burned you. So I was just like standing at the back with like a pint and just like, screaming my heart out and oh my god when you go see the story so far live in a tiny sweaty venue and parker's like in instigating complete sing-alongs of the crowd and you're singing along for their full hour plus set you realize how fucking difficult those songs are to sing especially in a sweaty venue when you have a few drinks and your, your fucking stomachs and not man he's some vocalist they were brilliant and what's really cool is now that their bassist is gone and the drummer does session guitar when they play live because i think I think the drummer's got something. He did got surgery or something, and he can't like drum for prolonged periods. I think I've read that. I don't hope I'm not getting that wrong, but I'm pretty sure I've read that. So he seems to be. I think he's still the studio drummer, like even on that new song. But when they play live, they have a session drummer, and he's playing third guitar because how much of their recent shit is like really layered, and there's loads of guitars. Oh, going okay, on. cool. So he's playing third guitar. They have a session drummer on tour who's the drummer from Set Your Goals. A pop punk band I used to love. Makes a lot of sense, yeah. And the the session bassist they have is the singer slash bassist from Man Overboard. Nick, I'm pretty sure his name is. Oh, cool. And it was cool because when Story So Far started, they would have been like touring, supporting Man Overboard. So yeah. Parker even said, uh, this guy, like back in the day when we first came touring the UK, he taught us all like the rules of the road and the tricks of the trade tour in this part of the world and like we wouldn't be like who we are tour wise without him and all this and we're like it's so cool that he gets the tour with us now and then like and he does a lot of the backing vocals now which makes sense but uh toward the end of the set like sorry so far from like walnut creek california and like toward like the, one of the last songs nick from an overboard sort of to mike and he was like we're the story so far from new jersey Peeled <laughs> <laughs> over like in stitches laughing it was fucking brilliant it was a cracking show man stage floor crowd surfing mayhem parker like like you watched him now like and you know he's got the mic on the mic stand in the big venues because he like watches his breathing and shit because he's got no one to give the mic to kind mm. of like Mm. Like the way he uses the mic uh, like a lot in turnstiles, big shows now because there's no there's no one to give the mic to like a lot of the time. So Parker Low for an underworld venue, there was no mic stand. It was proper, like just up the front, handing the mic to people, people grabbing him by the fucking head. It was it was like seeing him in a fucking time machine, man. Quality. It was great. That's and, quality, man. And and also as a man in his early thirties on a gig on a Wednesday night, a sweaty punk show when there's no support act. So the band just go on at quarter to nine <laughs> and they're off stage at five to 10 oh. and you're at your home literally before 11. Oh. 
it was fucking bliss, man. Oh, I, li- this I is a perfect gig going scenario. Man, I literally, I, I was home, had a shower, and was eating noodles watching It's All Sunny in Philadelphia by half 11. Oh, in bed for 12, I was chuffed. Like, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely delight. I was like, I said it to Norm. I was like, I wish more bands did that. You know, instead, <laughs> instead of me having to hang out for an hour and a half skipping Spartax, I've looked up online and I don't care about. I'm like, I'd rather just like go see the band at the headliner early and get home early. Everyone gets home. And then Parker even said it like toward the end. He said he was like, give it up for the first band. Nice. Yeah, fun. It was it was a great great all night, man. Great Good. all night. Um, right. Let's move and- on. Funnily enough, the album that we are speaking about today, yeah, before this band had any material out, one, they did they'd one they, song, did they? They'd harvest, yeah. Harvest, they'd, yeah. Uh, they'd, they'd one song harvest out when they did the, one of their first shows in the same venue that I just saw the story so far in this past week, The Underworld, and yeah. that sold out as well in micro time. And why did that show sell out in, in little time, Tierney? Hmm, I have no idea. It wouldn't have anything to do with the fact that it features one of Britain's biggest rock stars. Bono. Seems... <laughs> Bono isn't a Brit. Oh, but he he he's bootlicker though. So you know. No, 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 no. no. We, we're not we're not we're not opening that political kind of world. We're, we're just gonna leave it lie. Just we're gonna move on. Okay, because... let's. Uh, okay, you can edit that out, and I'll say uh, Steve Martin from Coldplay. <laughs> Steve. Same as Chris Martin. Chris Martin, that's it. Chris Martin. Steve, Steve Martin, Martin. father of the bride, isn't he? <laughs> the keeper by the dust and the jerk, the man with two brains. Oh, Steve Martin, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not editing any of this. This is all stated. Oh, uh, this uh, is what happens when we record on a Saturday and not a Sunday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sunday usually we're a bit more chilled out. Um but this this week we're gonna be discussing. The debut record from Empire State Bastard. Who are Empire State Bastard? I hear you, you, you cry. Well, they're the brainchild of Mike Venart from Venart, the band, and he was in a band called Ocean Size as well. And the Biffy Clara frontman and the official, the, uh, look, I don't make the rules. This is just the way it is. He's the official world sexiest man, Simon Neal. Uh, and Mike Venart is also Simon Neal's live guitarist. Um, this is a project that has been gestating for over a decade, apparently. And they had the name. And since they've been touring together and they've been trading music back and forth between each other and they realized they had similar tastes and they were into like really heavy metal and more avant-garde type punk stuff and everything. They wanted to make music together, Mike and, and Simon did. And they came up with the name before they came up with any music. And they tried uh, apparently like a really, really fast and furious grindcore band. They did like a kind of doom metal thing and they were just weren't happy with it. And before they, um, I'm going to tell you a mental story. I don't know if you've heard it. And um, I'm going to give all credit to Stephen Hill. He's a writer with Metal Hammer and he has his own podcast as well called True Cult Pop. And uh, he told this story on the podcast and it's, uh, I read the Metal Hammer article then as well. It's absolutely fucking mental. So Mike Venart, around Christmas in 2018, was going through a train station, I believe, and he came across Tommy Robinson. You know, that fucking right-wing kind of Islamophobe political activist 
he's the English guy or whatever, but they came across him and his Mike confronted him and basically said that like he didn't agree with some of the things he was saying and he thought that his Islamophobic stance was really damaging and really dangerous. And then your man started to live stream it and his legion of fucking knuckle dragging numbskull followers started like abusing Mike Vinart. So they're abusing him online, like threatening his wife, threatening his kids, threatening his mother. They tried to get him kicked out of Biffy Clyro. Like all of this mad shit, like, and I swear, yeah, this is fucking crazy. Like, uh, like I didn't know any of this until, like, like I said, listen to the podcast. I read the article as well, and I was like, that is fucking insane. Um, but that apparently, so there was a one night then, like they had to fireproof their house. That's how scared he was. Um, and apparently one night he was unable to sleep, and he got up and he started writing music. And he sent two of the tracks, I think, to Simon Neal. He goes, is this what Empire State Bastard sounds like? And here we go. That's That was the genesis of Empire State Bastard. Um, Jesus. Yeah, fucking heavy enough, isn't it? It kind, of, it kind of explains or informs a little bit about the music as well. Um, but I think this is a really interesting proposition. Because I never really knew what to expect from a heavy Simon Neal project. Like he's expressed his love for Imperial Triumphant and, you know, all that stuff. So I had an inkling maybe. Um, but knowing that like both he and Venart enjoy a bit of fucking madness, I kind of knew nothing was off the table. Well, like... I, 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 yeah, like I just didn't really know what to expect. Well, like Biffy's early stuff, I mean... Some of that was really, really fucking challenging. Like, um, there's a, there challenging was... and heavy door are, are very different things. Yes, but I'm saying that there are, but like the the signs were always there in like fucking, you know, like kill the old, torture their young, and then like especially on Infinity Land, like strung to your rib cage and wave mm. upon wave upon wave. Like though, and Jaggy Snake, those songs that were like where Simon really lets his like screaming freak flag fly, uh, and Biffy let let out a bit more like mathy, noisy, like almost noise rock in those songs. I always felt like Simon Neal in a heavy project. Like I felt like the signs were there in those songs that it would be always be something within the realms of like. Po- like really dark post hardcore like avant-garde hardcore post hardcore I, I i i would never see simon neal falling completely into the realms of like metal metal like slayer mm. metal and and this album kind of proves it to me this this album is like can, can i be honest off the bat this album i have mixed feelings about rivers of heresy because okay. in on one hand it is kind of everything I've always wanted from a heavy or anticipated rather from a heavy Simon Neal side project. Like I loved Marmaduke Duke and shit. So always kind of got like that, those ideas out of the way. But I always thought if he did something really heavy, like he would keep like an essence of his clean vocal and there would be elements of Biffy's weirder stuff in there. And it very much does sound like everything I anticipated and expected and wanted from this, but 
I have to say that on a hand on, on, on a lot of the songs on this album, I feel like the riffs are lacking. And I think and I think this album is like relies so much on its riffs that when the when the riffs are the main event, I find them very monotonous, blurred together. Maybe it's the guitar tone. I and like and I know like I mean I love hardcore, which is like those songs can be quite generic and monotonous, but it's that's done usually in a catchy or charming way, whereas this is this can be so frenetic at times and like and 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 chaotic that I feel the, or maybe it's the production, the riffs just don't cut through enough for me. And I mean, Lombardo's drumming on this album is ace. Simon Neal's performance is phenomenal. Um, we haven't mentioned that yet. Oh, so shit. I think Sorry. that is something that we need to say um, yeah. so initially. And I was gonna I was gonna call you up on it actually, because this is not technically a Simon Neal project. Because to the best of my knowledge, this is Mike Venart as the primary songwriter. Um, as in, I think he wrote like nearly all of the music and Simon oh, literally went oh, on uh, uh, as just a vocalist, you know. I know that. I, I right. didn't, I, sorry. I, yeah, I, I, I don't mean like Simon Neal as a guitar player. I always just kind of, I always envisioned, regardless of whether Simon Neal was writing the guitar parts or just doing the vocals, I always envisioned a heavy band with him sounding like this album does. Oh, okay. But I feel like Mike Venart riffs just aren't, they aren't cutting the mustard a lot of the time for me. And I've tried, I've listened to this album a good few times and and I really like it. And, I, and there's some songs where as Simon Neal's performance, like I said, I find it mad impressive that he sounds more horrifying now screaming than he did when he was in his early 20s. He's gotten more ferocious, mm. not less. And and he's just got a really dark, whimsical fucking charm, which he always has anyway. But in this environment, it's a lot more menacing. And I really like his performance here. And like I said, Dave Lombardo. Is That's what I wanted to get back to again. So as I said, Mike wrote all the music and he programmed all the drums initially. And right. when they were listening to it, he said, um, I think I'd like a Dave Lombardo fill there or like or a, a, a fill or whatever. And they were like, will we just ask Dave Lombardo to be on it? So they sent the demos to Dave Lombardo and he was like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. So Dave fucking Lombardo is on this record, which is fucking great. Like, you know, and just a shout out as well. Um, uh, Naomi McLeod or McLeod, McLeod, I'm not really sure. I, I apologize if I've got it wrong. Um, from Bitch Falcon is the bassist for live duties. I'm not sure if she's on the record or not yet because I haven't got my vinyl. Um, so and I probably could have checked it, but I didn't. But Dave Lombardo is the drummer on here anyway. Um, I did say that uh, the best part of recording this album was taking Dave Lombardo to Greg's. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, but you, like, I there's actually a lot to talk about just on what you said. Um, so I, I just want to say a few things first. Um, I think that anyone coming here for Simon Biffy Clyro Neil is going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah. Uh, because I think that aside from Simon's voice, which is so unique and so distinct, there is no link to Biffy Clyro in this album musically. Despite Biffy's heavier earlier material, it's a completely different brand of heavy. This is 
much, much different. Um, and there's loads of bands referenced here. I think Melvin's, Phantom Mass, Mr. Bungle, Slayer, Sleep, Daughters. I know we're not allowed to talk about them, but Daughters, The Locust, Mastodon, Pixies, Will Haven, Punk, Hardcore, Maccore. It's all in here. Um, I think, as you touched on, it's great hearing Simon shriek and scream and be ferocious and feral. Um, and I think he seems to be enjoying that role of not being the primary songwriter and just screaming his fucking bollocks off. He said he, doesn't, he doesn't hold back either. It's not like he's no. being conscious of his mainstream appeal. He it Like I said, his clean vocal parts are nearly mostly spoken word and they're few and far between. Mm. This is him going fucking hard in the paint with the shrieking. <laughs> like, it is like ferocious. Um, he said in an interview that Jacob Bannon from Converge and Grady Avenel from Will Haven are two of his big influences vocally and just across the board, like, um, and he said particularly Grady. And you can really hear that here, I think. Uh, I, I don't know what you feel about Will Haven, but they're a band that I'm not massively into, but I really do like. And I feel like once I kind of dive in, I'm going to really like them. But it's like this percussive yet emotive take on shrieking vocals. And it's it's really, Simon is really like copying from the Grady Avenel playbook here. I think it's really cool. I, I, I've only ever heard of Will Haven. I've never, I've never right. heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually think you'd like him. Um, from what I, I know of him. Yeah. They're, they're a cool band. Um, yeah. And Mike Venart said that gluey porch treatments by Melvin's was massive in shaping this record as well. And I think that's a very prescient point for this as well. Um, what you're saying about the riffing, I, if you were to take this purely as just a guitar hero record, you know what I mean? As in looking for riffs you can air guitar along to and all that stuff. I agree with what you're saying. But I think that, I'm not sure that's the point because Despite the song lengths being relatively short, I think they're drawing from like the kind of a sludge metal kind of uh, kind of aesthetic where it's kind of pout, excuse me, it's like pounding and grinding rather than piercing and cutting. Now well, I, I know that might it, seem very like nitpicky, but it, that's just was my take on it. I agree with you. I agree with you that that that's what that's what the riffs are going for mm. i feel like they're they're executed or they're recorded in such a way that they're they're, they're, they're kind of lifeless to me i don't get the fuck like i i've listened to this like i listened to this on diff, two different speakers and two different headphones and each time i'm like the the riffs just aren't clicking with me the, the, or the tone of them the punch of them i I, I, it, it takes Simon's vocals and Lombardo's drums to really, like, ironically enough, one of my favorite tracks on this fucking album is Tired Eye, which is just, I, I have to say at the beginning, before we go in, into any more so any songs, this song I have to mention first. If you had told me at the start of this year that I'd be reviewing an album where there was a song that is literally just Simon Neal's vocals and Dave Lombardo's drums, and Simon Neal is shrieking and screeching like a fucking like late 90s screamo vocalist in time to Dave Lombardo's just drum fills and there's no other music I, I would have asked. Not, not like the other music is minimal. There is no other music. 
Oh, it's just it's drums and shrieking. Yeah. And and it goes on for like at like two, three. It's like a real song. Oh, like. it's a song. Yeah. It's not an interlude. It's an actual song. And I love the idea of someone <laughs> whose, favorite, whose favorite Biffy Clyro song is God and Satan, which I love. I love God and Satan. I, I'm, I'm not I'm not slagging off that tune at all, but it's so delicate and beautiful. And like, and then being like, oh, I'll check out Simon Neal's new project. And they just click on Tired Eye. And it's just like, what the fuck is this? I think it's brilliant. Um, I love the fact that they put that in there. Um, and it's actually one of my favorites as well, because it's so weird. It's yeah, so, it's so strange. And it's not something I ever would have thought of them doing. Uh, it's just a completely bizarre choice and fair play to them for doing it. Um, I, I, one thing I just want to ask you, um, when you say lifeless, I I, I find that um, I, I can't really agree with it. I, I To me, this sounds like a band like, really enjoying themselves and enjoying like letting the shackles off and enjoying being not silly, but like enjoying indulging, like kind of, you know, way over the top, like gargantuan fucking riffing and drums and oh fuck, we got Lombardo. And it's like, oh, Simon, the, the, you don't have to sing. And so uh, what do you mean by lifeless in terms of just the production? Is it just the guitar tone, just the guitar tone. That's it. As in it's dull or dead sounding or like, yes, yes. Huh. Like Simon Hill's vocals, in there, Dave Lombardo's drums. Uh. Oh yeah, but like, I uh, number one, I feel the guitars smother the bass. I feel like the bass doesn't really have much of an identity on this record for the most part. And I wonder though, is that because Naomi McLeod isn't on the record? Yes, is it just it, because it was Mike playing it? Probably, it's probably, and that's the thing. It the guitars and bass. That's okay. The guitar and bass work on this album, primarily the guitar work. I really get the sense that it was all written and recorded by one dude layering himself. Mm -hmm. there, there really seems to be a lack of identity, not identity, variety uh, 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 in the guitar playing. You can very much tell it's one guy building it all. And Mike Venart's a savage guitar player. Like he's, he's brilliant, great. Yeah. Brilliant. But and like the playing on here is ace, but it's the execution of it that's kind of bothering me. Whatever way, maybe I'm listening to too much beatdown at the moment, but I'm just not. The whatever way the the production is on the guitar, the riffs aren't cutting in for me. But but I know I'm sounding very negative, but I'm actually really enjoying this album. It's funny you say about uh, enjoying the record because for full transparency, I was fucking dreading reviewing this. It's fucking too hot, man. It's too hot to be listening to oppressive, sludgy metal. I just wanted to listen to my Olivia Rodrigo albums and be happy and listen to pop music. And and then you said, let's review, let's review Empire State Bastard. And I was like, oh, God, it's got to be so much. Ah, oh, the heat. Ah. Oh. Because you fucking asked me first, would I be up for reviewing Olivia Rodrigo guts? And I said, no. That was a it's a mistake on your part. But nah, anyway. Nah, nah, not my thing. Anyway, um, I am now, I'm now very glad that you suggested that we do this album. Obviously, I was going to listen to this album anyway. But because we have to review it, you know, I try to give it a, a real go. And I've been listening to it, man, I was putting it off all week because every time we put it on and harvest starts and it's just like, ah! I was, oh, Jesus Christ, it's hot enough already. Give me a break. I need something just more mellow, just 
Yeah, Harvest, Harvest is a lot. As a, <laughs> it, it was a lot as a lead single and it's a lot as an opener. It's so much as an opener. Like, it starts like with, you know, like it's got a mastodon feel to the rolling riff and the rhythms and that high-pitched riff that they put through it as well as like much more macor. And it does, it really feels like the band said, fuck it, this is our first single, this is what we're about. And it's opening the record. If you've avoided all the singles, this is our record, this is what we're about. I think Harvest does that really well. Simon sounds absolutely fucking feral on it, which is great. Uh, the double time bit is great. And then the punk drumming is fucking great. Um, and then an avalanche of drums and screaming tops it off. For a successful opening track, check, tick the box. Well done. Lombardo like assaults the kit on this song. Like It's nuts. Like, yeah. uh, you know the way people say avalanche of drums, like, and I said it just there. I mean, like, I really mean it, like, as in the best thing about Lombardo's drumming is that at all times, you never fully know if it's going to stay on. It's just, it's always on the edge of just going out of time or just falling off the track or just devolving into complete chaos. And it's fucking brilliant. It's so much more effective than any Pro Tooled, like, or even brilliantly produced drum kit could ever be because yeah. no you've got an absolute manic genius playing the drums instead it's fucking brilliant he beats that kit like it was in money like oh man like he found it breaking into his house like it was fucking yeah, yeah it's nuts i think blusher is similar uh, it's blusher got a, a really Blusher's weird groove to it doesn't it, it yeah yeah in a really like off kilter fashion but it's relentless and grinding again capped off with a ferocious vocal performance do we know if simon is doing the deck growls on this record i don't fucking know i, I don't ask. know either because yeah i don't think it's him because it's one of the very few times on the album that the because simon neil usually goes from like i said that like high-pitched shriek to like spoken word clean vocal mm. but nowhere except for like the, a, a small bit here on blusher is there some proper like low L- proper low like deck like yeah. that no I, I it could be but it could I, be if it is him like whoa but I, I but it wouldn't surprise me if when you get your album it's like guest vocals on blusher by insert name here it wouldn't surprise me possibly yeah because he's in with the Joe Crocodile, that band, like his best mates with fucking Dan Carter, the Dan P. Carter to give him his full title. Dan did the artwork for this as well. So like, there's all those death metal bands that like Simon is friends with and stuff. So I don't know, maybe, but maybe this him. I I genuinely don't know. It's not something I've ever heard him do before, so it's hard to tell. But um, yeah, it's really cool hearing it on these tracks. Moi, then Ooh. would probably be. Ooh. Wow would probably be about as accessible as the songs get on here. <laughs> Call Wow an accessible song, if that makes any sense. It no, it does. It does. But like because it's got woes in it. Um, yeah. And I think as well, I have written here in my notes, the cards that are played under those woes. I think are the only major cards on this album. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I love this song. I think the drumming is superb. And I know we said that the bass line wasn't a massive, you know, part of it, but yeah. the bass line on this is fucking ominous. And then when we get that distorted riffing, it's like, ooh, it hits like really hard. It's got a high on fire feel to it. 
Um, it's big and stonery and sludgy. I really like it. And yet again, Simon sounds wild in it. Uh, I think it's very Phantomass as well, which is like really cool to hear, I think. Mm-hmm. It'd, it'd, it'd be like Phantomass Max or Phantomass Light. Like it'd be, it'd be very like, it, I wouldn't find this anywhere near as like, as Phantomass. <laughs> no, it's not as bewildering as it's it's it, it's Phantomass at their most straightforward. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that going on here. Yeah. This is, and I don't I, I don't mean to sound too cynical, but like this, without sound without sounding like a twat, I I feel like I feel like I've listened to so much ugly shit in the last ten years of my life that like. I've become a little desensitized to certain things that it takes something to to fucking clatter me now. Like I, this doesn't, this doesn't fuck as much as I feel it should fuck with me. If that makes sense, I really, I want to. I'm. I haven't. It hasn't clicked yet in a sense that I really like it and I really mm. like the ideas, but. I feel like it's, I feel like it's like. (sighs) I will say, right, that a lot of the reviews kind of, kind of focus on how visceral and nasty and extreme it is and all this stuff. And I, it is though, it is. It's just that we're viewing it through (laughs) ding, ding, ding. The betrayal of guilt lens. You yeah. know what I mean? That's extreme. That's nasty. That's ferocious and vicious. Whereas this is definitely that, but not to the same extreme. Yeah. This is this is extreme if you view it through a biffy clyro lens. Yes. No, I agree. That's you what know, I'm do you know what I mean? Like it's 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 all about perspective. And I agree with what you're saying. That You've been, you're listening to so much, you know, fucked up shit. Like, I mean, you love Imperial Triumphant, which I've gone on record in saying they're just not for me. They're impenetrable to the point of like boredom for me. But <laughs> I, I just, I just do not get that bend. And this is not that. Like, this is not that, but it is a brand of heaviness that I think maybe people didn't expect from a band featuring Simon Neal or something like that. And I do think that a lot of that is colouring the reviews of this band. And obviously as well, let's be fucking real. If you want to keep Biffy Clyro on side for when they release their new album and you want them to give you their interview, give you the album before, you're probably going to give this a glowing review as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah. You want to keep Simon happy. You know, there is that cynical side of it as well. But I do think, I like, I get what you're saying. And man, to be honest, I've been so out of love with metal. Like, for a couple of years, there's been nothing in metal that's been any way interesting to me, like, in a long time. I mean, last year, we absolutely eviscerated that Malevolence record because it just sounds like boring metal, you know? And like, there's nothing in metal that's got me really excited. But this, 
whether it's me being a Simon Neal fanboy or a Dave Lombardo fanboy or whether it's me just enjoying a metal record for its merits. I don't know, but I do really enjoy this. I do, no, I do like it. I, do you know what? What's funny is, like I said, I'm confused. I, mm. I feel like you, uh, uh, okay, two things. One, at the beginning of this review, you mentioned that when Empire State Bastard first formed, they were experimenting with some kind of really fast grindcore sounds. Mm-hmm. I feel like, the, and then you mentioned recently about the music media kind of painting this album in a certain light. Mm-hmm. When I first heard of Empire State Bastard, and this was only like earlier this year, all like the major music publications were like Simon Neal and Mike Van Aert uh, and Dave Lombardo to release Grindcore album. And they, and the word Grindcore got kicked around so much. <laughs> Are you gatekeeping Grindcore? <laughs> This isn't grindcore at all. No, it, it's not. No, it's not at all. And it's no. not trying to be. Or it's no, not I don't think so. Itself as grindcore. And no. I knew that from the moment I heard Harvest. Mm. The first single, I was like, okay, this is grindcore to enemy writers. <laughs> you know, they like, don't know their fucking arts from their elbow. So Incidentally, like, I read the enemy review yesterday. It's fucking atrocious. Like yeah, it's, it's not horror. Yeah, oh, it's so bad. Yeah, anyway, continue. Like their reference points are just yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So like enemy call this grindcore and shit. So like I mean, when I first heard Harvest, I was like, all right, this is not grindcore. This no. is grindcore to like someone who doesn't know anything. So I didn't go into this expecting a grindcore record, but I just feel that the I feel okay. Put it most succinctly I can. I wish the music went as feral and atrocious and harrowing as Simon Neal puts the vocals. I feel like the music doesn't go the full mile. And I feel like Okay. And don't okay. Get me wrong. He's like Lombardo is doing Lombardo. He's doing Lombardo's work, what, what God put him on earth to do. He's battering <laughs> the shit out of the case. Ven Art is delivering the riffs. He he's battering the riffs and he's having fun. He's messing with dissonance and a lot of like weird sounds as well. But I feel like the sludge or the groovy metal sounds mixed with the avant-garde kind of, it works sometimes, but other times I, I feel like it doesn't go for the jugular. It, it goes for a couple of fucking pot shots, but it doesn't, it doesn't fucking stick it in and break it off. Sometimes I keep waiting for the album to go in and it, it it feels a lot of it feels like surface level heaviness to me a lot of the time. And I'm really annoyed because I'm really the parts of this I like, I love. I do you know what? If this album you know, Sons and Daughters is it's it's fine, but I find the your, the sons and your daughters, the rising, your war and your soldiers. It, I feel like it, and I and I guess it's kind of being a bit droney and a bit strange. But like, I found myself at this point being like, how did we just go from like tired eye Simon and fucking Lombardo just chaotic drums and shrieking to this kind of dark rock song with this kind of cliched vocal hook? Like, bring bring me like. Like, this is time that could be, and this is a short album. It's only like 35 minutes. I'm like, this is time that should be spent going in more. Like, this isn't the extreme album I thought it would be. This is a bit, 
Sons and Daughters kind of left me a bit cold. And then Stutter, Stutter's fun and Palms of Hands is really cool. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're short, vicious, b- abrasive fucking songs. And that's when I really love this album. When, okay. when, when it's when it's showing utter disdain for the listener. And sometimes a song like Sons and Daughters feels like it's holding the listener's hand too much. I, 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 I'm not sure I can agree with that. I actually quite like Sons and Daughters because I think they play with space really well in it. It's it's quite spacey. And then as it ramps up, it closes in on you. Like it becomes more claustrophobic. And I really like that. I think it plays with dynamics pretty well. I think it works quite well. And I feel, I like the fact that it sounds like a final song, like the last song of the record and it kind of just dies. I think that was really cool. And as you said, then Stutter and Palms of Hands like really fucking ramp up the pace again. It's really cool. Um, I, I like Sons and Daughters. Um, I I wouldn't, I couldn't agree with you saying it's cliched, you know, the cliched vocal thing. I, I think it's... The lyrics, like the lyrics. Simon Neal, like, don't get me wrong, like, you know me, I love Biffy Clyro, one of mm. my favourite bands. And... Mm. But sometimes Simon Neal can fall victim to a, a lyrical clunker. And I, I feel like I feel like Sons and Daughters just I found myself listening to it and hearing the rhyme and the lyric repeated and just thinking, you could have said anything here. You could have written any lyric here that mm. to me would have instilled more of more depth and more thought. Okay. Provoked more thought than this lyric couplet. I just I, I just wonder let- though. I wonder though, is this, you know, is this us putting unfair expectations on Simon because he's Simon? Completely. You know, I, you know, like this, I don't, I, I don't think this is the album to go to for like emotional weight from the lyrics from Simon. Uh, to, to me, anyway, I don't know. So I, I think I just came into this like, wanting to fucking listen to a metal album that I might enjoy because like, as I said, I've been really having a very tumultuous relationship with metal at the moment. And yeah, yeah I, I don't know, but I like... I struggle to even call this metal. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's like fucking, it's like post-hardcore noise rock, bordering on noise core with elements of I think, metal. I think the overriding genre of it is sludge. But it, but if it's sludge, it's like fucking it's sludge core or it's like sludge math core because there's this isn't just straight up because Simon's vocals take it in a totally different way and the oh absolutely yeah and the the pace of it sludge is often slow mm. like this is this is it's got a lot of ideas going on but sometimes I just feel like the ideas aren't executed to their fullest extent for me and it's funny because this album like I I I. Yes, I think I'm having very unfair expectations because I love Simon Neal and I love yeah, Dave and, and Mike Van Aert's a talented bastard. And not again, I, I want to come off like such a twat in this episode, but I spend so much of my time listening to this type of these types of music that the band are experimenting in that you know, like I, I'm really approaching this with with like without kid gloves, you know. I'm coming at it with like a fucking I'm being really like nitpicky and like fucking like because of like I because of how much I love this shit. But and there are parts of it I really do like, but there are like there there are there are I find this album, the experiments, a lot of them work and some of them I leave me a little cold, but it's mainly okay. like I it's it's mainly a lot of it's down to the guitar tone. 
but when the songs are either absolutely chaotic and abrasive and instantaneous, like Palms of Hands or Stutter, or they have a bit more like I they laden with like more dynamic ideas like on Harvest or on Moi. But like when the album goes pure ugly and insane, tired eye, that's fucking unreal. And then like I mean the last two tracks mm. need to be discussed because sold so sold sold could be a biffy B side, I think. I don't agree. No? No. No. I, I think even as weird as weird and out there as some of Biffy's B-sides have been and like deliberately like obtuse and yeah. bordering on antagonistic, like, you know, some of Biffy's yeah. B-sides for the, for if you don't know and you think that Biffy are just, as I said, God and Satan or, you know, even fucking, um, uh, oh my God. I don't know which one. Many of horror. Sorry. Oh, yeah. um, like that's not what Biffy are. Um, Biffy have some scabrously heavy music and particularly on some of their B-sides I just think that there's there's enough weirdness uh, in a kind of a it's it's just a different area it's a different genre you know what I mean it's like a fucking I don't know like it could it could be down to Simon Neal's personality just it's just because he's so he's he is resolutely Simon Neal, no matter He's what so he charismatic, does. Like, so yeah. charismatic. Like, if you think about how you mentioned a Marmaduke Duke, I mean, that record is way away from Biffy Clyro. But you're kind of like... feels a bit like Biffy Clyro. That's a little bit like Biffy Clyro, isn't it? But it's yeah, not. Yeah. It's because Simon is so fucking amazing, you know? And I, I actually think that Sold, um, it's got like that weird, like barely audible, like fairground kind of keys in the background which are really weird it's a really weird augmentation on this really brutally heavy track I think that the started synth line that comes through electronically is is a really cool little earworm as well and I just feel like it's stuff that would not happen in a Biffy track because Biffy's music is very organic a lot of the time and this has those synthetic elements as well. I I I, I don't think it's a it, it could pass as a, a Biffy Clara B side. Um, I I really just do think that it's it's just Simon being so fucking unstoppably Simon Neil that it's hard not to be like oh, this sounds like Biffy. You know, I'm not saying that you're like you know neglecting w- what they're doing or like I, I I just do think that a lot of what is happening here. And a lot of how people are going to enjoy this record is going to be down to Simon Neal because it's a bit like it's a bit like when people say a perfect circle or oh, they're the same as Tool. Yeah. I they're not mean. like, I mean, they're closer musically than Biffy and Emperor State Bastard, but that unifying force of Maynard James Keenan and in this case, Simon Neal is so strong and so yeah. overwhelming that it's like it's it's you're trying to find links between the two i think and because i think what happened to me was i did not want to review this at all cuz i wasn't in the farm for heavy music i wanted to listen to like shiny pop as i said and i was like oh fuck i don't want to listen to this and then as i kept listening to it i was like ah oh, i really like this i like that i like that riff 
oh, those drums are sick. Oh my God, Simon sounds great. And by the end of it, I was really excited. And I think that the looming brings the record to a close in this weird, grand existential fashion, you know? And um, I think that those dancing electronics that move across your speakers that accompany the riffing and the screaming are a touch of like, touch of, you know, the signpost that you're dealing with really, really talented songwriters here. Because I don't think a lot of bands would choose to include those little touches. And I think that's really cool. And my overall experience with this record was I fucking really enjoy it. I really like it because I came in with limited expectations and a sense of just like, I don't want to listen to this type of music. Whereas I think you seem to have come into wanting you know, because we like, and we hold Simon on such a pedestal, you know, and Dave Lombardo's on it. This is going to be fucking a bit, you know? So maybe that yeah. was it. I don't know. It's just a case of expectations I, not being I, met or being superseded, I think. Yes. I wanted this album to hurt me and it didn't really hurt me. You know, I really, I really, I, I thought like, <laughs> and I'm like Simon Neal from Biffy Clyro, like working with Dave Lombardo and like what people had thrown around the word grindcore on it from what I'd heard of like Harvest that I kind of I expected this album to like hurt and it and it and, it, and maybe it's just because I, I've been hurt too many times already but this just didn't it didn't cut deep enough but the looming I must say is phenomenal the looming is one of the high points on the album if not the high point it, it, it possibly is the high point. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it's and it kind point. of signals that th this band isn't really tied to any specific genre. It's mm. just, it's trying to live up to the, 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 the moniker of Empire State Bastard. Just be heavy and chaotic and abrasive and dynamic and strange and mm -hmm. just, and just, and, and big looming as the track is called. I, I feel like the, the, the looming almost is good, like goes into post metal territory. Cause I it mean, does, like, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, this is like, this is a thirty-five minute album, predominantly made up of songs that, like, a lot, like, a, almost half the tracks on this album barely make it over two minutes, and then you've the looming counterbalance that with like a six-minute epic to mm -hmm. finish it off, like a post-metal epic, as opposed to like, I mean, just just vocal and drums, shrieking and drums on tired eye, and like then the and they really like instantaneous kind of abrasion of something like. Uh, palms of hands i i like this album mm -hmm. i don't love it mm -hmm. i think i think definitely a lot of this comes down to me personally my my love for simon neil and biffy clyro my long-awaited expectation and anticipation for simon neil to do a heavier project um my just genuine love of heavy and extreme mm -hmm. music and how I'm kind of probably setting it to that standard. I should probably be like, I should be comparing this less to Portrayal of Guilt and D Dragged into Sunlight and more to Biffy Clyro and Mastodon, I suppose. But that, so it is totally yeah. on. But like the ideas are there. But like I said, it, a lot of this comes down to the guitar work for me. Like it just, the production on this, it doesn't, Maybe I just need to hear this on like Pentagon level speakers, like in that Rick and Morty episode. But I need to, I need these riffs to just fuck a bit more, and they don't fuck enough for me. But can like, I, can I give an argument that I think might actually, um, maybe explain how you're feeling a little bit? Yes, of course. Um, I think when I, when I think about this album uh, as a whole, I think that 
you know, I think Simon and Mike Venart, they're obviously have great chemistry because, you know, Venart has been playing on stage with Biffy for years at this stage. It's only revolutions. Yeah. Since the only revolutions tour. And like Simon obviously has great trust in him. And I think that comes across. Uh, I think that it's cool hearing established musicians with the shackles off. But if we're being honest, this record is the very definition of a free hit. No one in the band, I'd say none of the management, no one expects this to be massive. Anything that happens to us is probably just going to be a bonus. And I think that that kind of gives the band freedom. And it's also their first record. And they're trying lots of different things. They're, you know, they're seeing how it goes. They're just doing stuff. I think what I like hearing about this is, I agree with you. This, I like this a lot. I don't love it. I think it's, I think it's very good. Um, But it's just, I, 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 what I really like about it is the sense of, it's not a fun record, but I think they're really enjoying making it. They're having fun making it. And I think that that's really cool. And what I think brings this from a six out of 10 to a seven or a seven and a half. I'd say seven. Is Lombardo. Yeah. I think Lombardo really elevates this. He's the MVP here. He is. I think so. I think he makes this a a very good record rather than a good record. Yeah. And I just, I do think that there is that sense of this is a fucking once off, maybe not a once off, but it's a free hit. Look, it's a fucking massive. It's a, if you think about who's typically a fan of Biffy Clyro, they're a lot will be, but like, you know, the majority are not going to be into fucking death metal and post metal and sludge and hardcore and Melvins and whatever else you think of. So like no one I'd say at the management expects this to be like the sleeper hit of the year. It's not going to be. It'll no, do, more, it'll do well, but, but like, it's you know, a thing to like, it was like, a, oh, let's fucking do a show before we've any album out in the underworld. 100%. So- play a venue like that let's go and play let's go book arc tangent and play it like one in the afternoon in one of the small tents it's like it's it's something it's a bit of headspace for the boys play a bit more heavy music that they don't have to worry about seeing thousands of people who expect many of horror they can just go cut loose to a bunch of people with niche or tastes who are there to listen and rock out like so uh, and all of that is like and i'm totally on board for that i just and like i think one two things one, I I worryingly agree with you that if Lombardo wasn't drumming on this album, I really think it would it wouldn't it needed the drums. It needed this intense level of drumming to bring the tracks up. I think they, but I think they probably knew that that it, the album needed to be elevated by insane drumming. The other thing I'll say is, I feel like I would be more disappointed with this album if it wasn't for the fact that it is very much a debut. The ideas here are very scatterbrained in, in, and like, and it's very open about its scatterbrained approach. It is like the artists involved have been like, we've always wanted to do something like this. So we're de- dig- digging into all the influences we don't usually get to indulge. And the ideas, a lot of them work. Some of them don't. The execution overall, I think, is quite successful. I, I feel like this album, th- this album, I think, could absolutely like rape the brain of like, someone who like got into Biffy with only revolutions and like 
has barely just processed like yeah. Infinity Land and stuff and yeah. kind of liking heavy music, has listened to a bit of Mastodon and th- this could really end up being their like gateway drug into hell. But like for me, I feel like I feel like I'm so far down my my path into the abyss already. <laughs> the that I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I appreciate what you're doing, but like I, I, I need I need a bit more. I mean, I need a bit more time with the record. And I think the band, I think the songs need more time with me. And I, if this is, if this is literally the first thing they felt like putting out with their name on it and they, and it's a one-off thing, then it's a fun little throwaway chaotic project. I think that this could very easily fall into that, you know, curio status. Yeah. I think that this could be that. Or it could be, or it could be, you know. Or it could be one of those things that in eight fucking years time, we get another Empire State Bastard album that sounds completely different. Yeah. And I'm all on board for that too. I, yeah. Like I said, I, a lot of my enjoyment of this album comes from my perspective and opinions. And I think that album, it's an album that will be like that for a lot of different people. I think th- this record, it. this record is going to live and die in people's expectations of it. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that the only time I'm going to get annoyed about this record is if it's top of album of the year charts at the end of the year. Yeah. Because, it's you know, that. it's not like, it's just not, but there's some I'm, fire moments, some great moments, but there's absolutely. Like, there's some brilliant moments on it. As it we said, the looming is fantastic. Moi, I think moi is fantastic. I think harvest is fantastic. Yeah. And I just, it's very hard for me to get mad at, <clears throat> um, Simon Neal, Mike Van Art, and Dave Lombardo for writing something that they just wanted to write because yes. those three men have given me so much throughout the years. I'm I'm never going to begrudge you for doing what the fuck you wanted to do. If this yeah. is what you want to do, great. If you come back, as you said, in fucking eight years' time when, you know, Biffy have done another two albums and it's all settling down again, you know, and it's like you hone what you want to do and you feel your identity is more crafted and focused give me that record as well and if it's just another fucking hodgepodge of a lot of ideas great fair fucking play i think that this is very it's to me i find it very enjoyable um it's honestly one of my favorite metal or metal adjacent records of the year because i just think that genre has been particularly weak this year um and I'm glad it exists and I'm happy for them. I'm happy they've given it to us. I'm happy it's out there in the world. But your your metal uh um your lackluster metal vibes will be rectified later this year, don't you worry? How is that? New Wayfarer album in October. <laughs> American <laughs> Gothic. That's now yeah. that's that's gonna fuck. You wanna talk about metal albums that are gonna uh, fuck this year? That's gonna fuck. I bet it will. And yeah. I look forward to discussing it. Yeah, yeah and we'll I, do that. We've got to put a pin in that one. Yeah, it's it's funny. I think that the last couple of records we've done, we've been very aligned or in sync with our thoughts. Yeah. And this one we haven't been, but I think we both ended up in the same general ballpark. I, yes. I don't think I could give this an 8 out of 10. No, no, definitely not. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, but I like it. I like it a lot. I like it too. I do. I, but uh, I think it's a 7. It's a seven to me. It is. It's, yeah. And I think, and a lot of it comes down to 
the unfair expectations I put. But, but you know, like, it, it's like when we all went to see Avengers Endgame and no matter yeah. how good it was going to be, we expected it to be a billion fucking times better. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, I thought Endgame was meh. I thought Infinity War was much better. So... I always say that uh, Infinity War is Master of Puppets and Endgame is just the greatest hits. Yes, that, that, that I couldn't agree more. That's yeah. fucking spot on. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's the same here where... Empire State Bastards debut album was never ever going to be as good as the debut album in my head. And that's the <laughs> I think that's absolutely the perfect place to leave it. And uh, that has been episode 64 of For the Record. Thanks a million for listening, as always. We really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Sean Tierney. His name is Zach Buggy. We'll talk to you next week for another fucking banging episode. Talk to you soon. Music is the best. I'm Buggy. Bye.